right. Well, we are finishing up our whole enchilada series this morning, and we're going to look one last time at the entirety of what the scripture is about in relationship with Jesus about is the fact that we love. And love, and maybe you can say this with me, love is the greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way. It is the evidence that you are a child of God. And so last week we looked very specifically at that evidence that we are children of God by how we love one another. The way that we would very practically love by covering the sin of one another. By the way that we would welcome one another, strangers among us. And the way that we would serve supernaturally among us. That's the way we love one another. But love, the greatest above all, beyond all, most excellent way, evidence that you're a child of God extends beyond our relationships with one another. Because God who is love also, the word declares this, for God so loved the world. Now when the the scripture says God so loved the world, what's he talking about? Trees, clouds, No, what's he talking about? People. For God so loved the world, people, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever, not trees, not plants, that whoever, people, believe in him, they would not perish but have eternal life. And so, we want to this morning look at the God who is love, loves the people of the world. And therefore, if God who is love and is in us, loves the world, what would we do? We would love the world as well. God demonstrated his love for the world in the sending of his son. And then the son, while he was on this planet, said, the the son of man has come to, what's the word? Seek and save that which was lost. Now, we not only see the heart of the Son expressed here, that he wants to seek and save the lost, we see that God sees the people of the world as lost. That's not offensive. That is a spiritual reality, that he loves people as lost people. Ever been lost? It's a bad, bad feeling. And so as you think about being lost, I like to think of it this way, that lost people actually, they have a home. What's the problem? They can't find it. It's not that they don't have a home. It's that they can't find it. And because they have a home but can't find it, what has to happen is lost people must be sought Something has to happen for them because they are unable to do something for themselves. Make sense? When you're lost, you need someone else to do something for you. Which is why, again, the scripture says, Jesus, the Son of Man, has come to seek. Lost people can't seek. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And therefore, what we want to do is look at this morning of how Jesus, who loves lost people, how he demonstrated love for the lost. 
What's love for the lost look like for us? So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And Luke 15 gives us a picture into the life of the Lord Jesus as he lived on this planet and demonstrated how for us to love the lost. Luke chapter 15. Opening two verses say this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him. Who's him? Jesus. They're coming near Jesus to listen to Jesus. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, what I love about the example that Jesus gives us is it's not complicated It's not weird. It's not unusual. He simply does for lost people what you would do for anybody that you love. You engage with them. You don't avoid them. You don't stay away. He he loved people and he demonstrated that he loved the lost by engaging with them. And again, not in wildly unusual ways. What did it say he did there? Yeah, he welcomed them, he received them, see, he welcomed them, and then he ate with them, wow, novel stuff, and he talked with them. They were listening to him, which tells me he was listening to them, because nobody listens to people who never listen to them. So there is this very natural relationship that Jesus has with lost folks. And, and it makes me help, it helps me see that as we would, because God who is love lives in us, as we would demonstrate this, it doesn't have to be wildly exotic. It, it's actually why I love what we're doing here with Alpha coming to CFC. If you've been Hearing the the words about Alpha, it's nothing unusual, wild, or weird. It's it's almost biblical. (laughs) It's almost exactly what Jesus did in Luke 15. It's simply getting together with folks who have spiritual questions, sharing a meal together, eating with them just like Jesus did, and then talking about the big questions of life. And it's not just a one-time deal. It begins on Thursday, February 15th, but then goes for 11 weeks. The key is the invitation. To simply say, we gave one a couple weeks ago. If you have already given yours out, then I encourage you to go by the Impact Gazebo and grab another one or two. But if it's still in your Bible... No one's going to know about it if it's still in your Bible. And you don't have to, like, figure out somebody who wants to come. See, there's lots of stuff we don't know what's going on. Met a gal after first hour whose brother died of the flu. You've been hearing that. That was just on the news. No, it's right here sat right here in first hour, would have had no idea until I engaged her in conversation and told me what had happened. So you don't know what's going on in somebody's life, do you? You don't know about your waitress or the person who came and fixed your cable. 
You don't know about the person who you get Starbucks coffee from. You don't know what's going on in your life, in their life. You don't have to figure that out. Just go, I don't know what's happening, but this might interest you. If these stay in our Bibles, we should have saved our stinking money. (laughs) Give them out. You'd have no idea. You don't have to know whether they're going to come or not. Some people, if you have a relationship, it might be normal for you to come with them. Some people, it would be weird if you said, hey, you want to come? I'll come with you. Uh, Are you hitting on me? No, so don't do that, junk. (laughs) Just just offer an invitation and uh, see what the Lord does with it. I I love it because it's simply... So natural to what Jesus did. Have conversations around meal about life's issues. The key, I hope you've heard me say it a few times already this morning, throughout this whole series. Why would we do this? Why would we offer invitation? Why would we engage? We would because they matter to God. Jesus did what he did because lost people matter to God. And if lost people matter to God, they would matter to us. Why? Here's the key. Again, this is always what it comes back to. Because he lives in us. For for too long, folks, we've thought, well, God's like this, and so we should do that. No, it's God is like that, and he is in me. And because he's in me, I want to be an instrument in and through which what he loves and what he does flows through me. It's because of who he is and he's in me that we would go, lost people matter to him, lost people matter to Jesus, Jesus engaged, and he lives in me. I don't need to make this fancy or hard or unusual. I simply want to do what Jesus did, who lives in me. See, this beauty of this working relationship, if you will, is demonstrated. Second Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, there was meant to be relationship, there was brokenness, and so God was in Christ bringing brokenness back together by not counting their trespasses against them because they had been placed, the penalty had been placed on Jesus. And he has committed to who? Us, the word of reconciliation. In other words, the word of telling people how Christ has restored the opportunity for us to have relationship with God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We get to speak the words, but here's the key. As though God were making an appeal. How? Through us. You you see the beauty of that? In the text, what's it say? What's our responsibility? Just simply speak the word. What's God's responsibility? Make the appeal. So we've sold and been sold to so much we think, oh, my role's to make the appeal. No, it's actually not. It's God who makes the appeal through people who simply go, I get to speak the words. He gets to do the work in the heart. We're too silent because we think we have the role that is God's role. Simply speak the word to folks as you have an opportunity. Speak the word, engage. And God then does a supernatural work through 
us. That's the beauty of the relationship. It doesn't have to be complicated. A number of you have said, you know, this whole enchilada series has taken me back to some things I'd really thought about in the neighbortude series, having the the attitude of Jesus towards my neighbors. And so I hope this encourages you. I, I simply want to share with you an example of how someone applied neighbortude as a loving the lost. Watch this. Doug was talking about needing to know our neighbors and I um, and to have a relationship with them so I started trying to think of how I could um, start just being with them um, without it feeling like a project so I wanted something that would be kind of natural that a lot of people might be drawn to do and that we could do it comfortably and there would not feel like there were any strings attached. I like movies and a lot of people do so I got the idea to show movies. Well after talking to my husband (laughs) he said yeah that sounds good we can do that and I did some research I ended up uh, buying a, a you know a projector we didn't even have a projector or anything I've never done any of this before and um, it was a little uh, overwhelming to to think about doing something I've never done before all of a sudden so one thing God's been showing me is that it's hard work to usually hard work to do what the Lord asks us to do and um, I didn't realize how much work this was going to be <laughs> when I set it up. It's always well worth it, but it really is work. One night, um, one of the little girls in our neighborhood, Jada, she came by and she said, could, could I help you set up? I had just started setting up and putting out tiki lamps. And, and I stopped for a minute because I don't like asking for help <laughs> or accepting help, especially not from you know, the kids in the neighborhood, but I stopped for a minute and I said, yes, <laughs> you can help me. And so then she got another little boy who lives across the street, Giovanni. He had come to a movie night too. And she was like, come on, Giovanni, come help set up. Come help Miss Wendy set up. And so they came and helped me set up for movie night. And it was really great because I got to just have this relaxed conversations with them. Sometimes it feels like a failure if no one shows up or if just a couple of people show up. Because uh, as humans, I think we think in a, a, of success, one level of success is how many people come to something. So God's been teaching me that it's not about that. It's not about the numbers. If we are faithful to do what the Lord wants us to do, Um, It doesn't matter how other people react or what they do or whether they show up. Um, I have still been faithful, and he would still say, well done, good and faithful servant, because I did what he asked me to do. See, I love that because it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. What do you love to do? Like movies? Engage with people who matter to God over movies. If you like golf, 
Engage with people who matter to God over golf. Like travel baseball? I don't know why, but if you do, uh, engage with people. (laughs) I'm just playing. You simply engage with people as God gives you opportunity. You go to the gym, engage with people at the gym. See, Jesus simply said, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat with folks who matter to my Father because lost people need to be sought. So you can do whatever God has placed on your heart, however God has made you, simply engage as God has made you. And don't make it more complicated. Understand, though, that the irony is not everybody is going to be excited for you. If you go back to Luke 15, I'm struck by both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. See, Jesus is engaging with the lost because they matter to him, but the religious people who would have considered themselves closest to God weren't happy, they're grumbling. And so watch what happens. This helps us understand the rest of Luke 15. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. The reason the parables are in Luke 15 are because Jesus is confronting the grumbling of those who are saying, we don't like that he welcomes, eats, and talks with lost people. So I want us to look at these parables real quickly, and I want you to ask yourself, what's Jesus saying to the grumblers, okay? Read with that question. What is Jesus saying to the grumblers? First story. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until what? Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Here's the parallel. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now pause there. How in the world can one get more joy? than 99. Very simple. Because there are no 99 who need no repentance. Huh. There is no one like that. So there can't be any joy because nobody is that. There are only people who need repentance because how does God see the people of the world that he loves? Lost. And so... Everybody this morning (laughs) needs repentance. And when one sees it and repents, heaven goes crazy. Second story. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until when? Until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls the other friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. Parallel again? In the same way, I tell you. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what's Jesus saying to the grumblers? 
He's saying very simply, hey, you reveal what you love by what you invest in for rescue. You, you know what you love by how hard you look for it when it's lost. Isn't that true? That's true in my life. I can't count the number of socks I've lost. It's true in your house as well. You have the, where did the other one go? I have no idea. And I bet you don't spend much time looking for it. You go, ah, and you grab another pair. But I lost my wedding band once, and I was in big trouble. Actually, that's not true. I lost my wedding band twice. You know what I did when I lost it? I looked until I found it. Why? Because this is a lot more valuable to me than my socks. You get the point? Are lost people to you socks or wedding ring? So you reveal, you say, oh, I don't know. How much do you invest in rescue? Do you buy a projector? Do you do some hard work? Do you go out of your way to the gym? Do you think about who you have? Do you invest minutes and resources in rescue? And if you go, well, I really don't. This is hard to hear, but lost people are socks to you. Because we reveal what we really value by what we do when it's lost. Isn't that, isn't that exactly what the story was saying? You know, I, I, I had to acknowledge that for much of my life, I was much more like the religious people in Luke 15 than Jesus. Didn't invest much. And if I invested something, it was people who were lost overseas, not people who were lost on the street. That didn't make sense, but it was what it was. And Jesus is confronting. We reveal, you reveal what you really love by what you invest in it when it's lost. And then, what's the second part of both stories? how you celebrate when it is found. And Jesus is saying to them some pretty hard stuff when he says to them, hey, grumblers, guess what? You're grumbling, but heaven's having a party. And the angels, they're rejoicing and you're grumbling. In other words, you're not with me on this one. Mm. That may be a word. That may be something that you would have to say right now, admit in your own mind, in your own heart, right now this morning, I don't think I'm with Jesus on this one. Maybe not against him, but my actions don't reveal that I'm with him on this one. I I need a heart change here. What's happened to me that, that my whole life has become wrapped up with church people that somehow I don't look like Jesus anymore. I don't know that happens, but let me acknowledge that for whatever reason, it seems like 
the longer people are around church, they get less like Jesus in this one. Look at your life and ask yourself, wow, is that true? The longer I'm around church, the less I'm like Jesus in this area. Not necessarily in others, but on this one. I get, I get increasingly disconnected as opposed to engaged. How's that happen? Well, you know what? Jesus tells a third story. And the third story actually is a little different than the first two. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered, wasted his estate. How? <laughs> with, that's kind of a funny expression, with loose living. What's that, what's that mean, folks? <laughs> He wasted it on partying and drugs and alcohol. That's what, the script, that's what it says. He, he blew it all. And alone and hungry and broke, something happens. He comes to his senses. And he goes... How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? What's his conclusion? <laughs> I ought to go home. I, I'm going to go uh, get up and go to my father. See, there's a little different there if you think about it. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father who was obviously where? Home. Saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And he's so thrilled that his son who had left is now back. He says, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a barbecue. So he throws this huge party for his son let's come home so what's different about this story you ever notice this uh, the prodigal son was able to find his way home sheep couldn't couldn't, the coin couldn't find itself. But the prodigal son came to his senses. He went home. And who's there? Dad. Dad's not like the shepherd out searching. Dad's not like the woman sweeping and looking. He's home waiting but watching. And when he gets there, the celebration is there. But this story is different. This, this story is about a son who could find his way home and a dad who was waiting instead of out searching because this story has a different point and it's about to be revealed. When the party's happening, 
and the fattened calves on the grill. And you can always smell that, can't you? Ah, I love the smell of smoked meat. What's that? What's that smell? What's, what's, the, what's, what's the party? Says the older brother. And he learns. Your little brother's home. And your dad threw a big party. And what happens? <laughs> he, the older brother, became angry and said, I'm not going in there. Oh, see, this is a whole new picture in this story. The older brother says, I refuse to go in. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's getting out a mirror. And he's using the stories as a mirror. And he's putting it in face of the grumblers, the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's going, hey, look at yourself here. You know who you are here? Who are they? You're the older brother. You're standing outside the party grumbling. You won't go in. You see, Jesus tells in this third story why children of God refuse to engage lost people. He's, he's exposing the reason why. We haven't seen it yet. We're about to see it. But you need to understand that this parable is about exposing why. The mirrors in front of the Pharisees and the scribes. Why the children of God refuse to engage lost people. And that's so powerful to me because, honestly, when I recognize... I'm not like Jesus on this one. I don't engage with lost people like he does. I recognize that about myself, but for, for a long time I wondered, why? What's wrong with me? Have you, ever, have you ever genuinely asked yourself, what's wrong with me on this one? Why, why can't I get with Jesus? On We've been at, I've been at the chapel for almost 30 years now, and this has constantly been a slippery, can't get traction. Why? Well, we're about to see why. Because the older brother is the mirror to us who don't engage like Jesus engaged. So why? Well, the father comes out and says, pleads with him. To do what? What's the pleading? What's he pleading with him? Come in, son. Come, your brother, he's home. Come on in. Look, for so many years, the son says, I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes you kill the fattened calf for him see why won't he come in who 
does he think the party should be for? He thinks, dude, if that calf's dying, it ought to be for me and my friends. Why? Because I have earned it. I mean, look, all the years I have earned this. The party should be for me. So why won't he engage? Because lack of love for the loss is rooted in this belief. I've earned, I've preserved relationship with the Father. Not him. He blew it. Not me. This ought to be for me. Can I compare the two brothers for you by their own admission? Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Younger brother or older brother? Younger brother. For so many years, I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. Older brother or younger brother? Older. (laughs) Who's telling the truth? (laughs) See, it's hit me like a bulldozer. Who's telling the truth? The younger brothers, the one telling the truth. I am not worthy. This junk right here, I have never neglected your command. (laughs) Well, what about that time when you can, well, yeah, okay, that that time. Well, and, and that, this time? See, is it really true you had never? No. There's not a son anywhere ever who can say never. What's he really saying? I didn't blow it like he did. I was more obedient than he was. I've honored you more than he has. When it comes down to it, I'm better than he is. Right? And so I get to the heart of why I'm not like Jesus on this one. Because I will love the lost to the degree that I recognize, and not until I recognize that I am undeserving recipient of God's love. See, the mirror, and it's a lot of words right now, till I recognize I'm an undeserving recipient of God's love. Until I get there, I'll never have God's heart for the lost. Why? I think I'm better than they are. And this, folks, don't bail out on me here. 
This is something we really don't want to admit about ourselves. But ultimately, we're uncomfortable hanging out with people who are living together and getting drunk and loose living because we think we're better than they are. And we can make little quick runs in. We can treat it like a project. But we're uncomfortable at the table with them, engaging with them, because we think we're better. We are often, not only you know, but we are often the guy in the mirror that Jesus is holding up with the older brother. Because I recognize this. I can dutifully read my Bible. And I can dutifully attend church regularly. I can dutifully get here 15 minutes earlier. And I can dutifully serve. But I can never, ever dutifully love people. It's either in me and comes out of me or it doesn't. And it all depends how I see me. You see, it's, it's, I'm the issue. It's not them and what they did and what they're doing. It's about me and how I see myself. Because the reality is, when I begin to recognize I am not never, when I recognize how undeserving I am of God's love, of all that I have done, all that I have thought, all that I have neglected, all of my impure, ugly motives, everything that I have done in secret and hope that nobody else would ever find out. When I recognize all of that and that God loves me, then grace cannot be contained. It can't. I cannot manufacture grace. Either I recognize I don't deserve it, but I've received it, that the party shouldn't have been for me, but God has thrown a party for me. When, when that hits me, and when grace, not a little bit, but when grace flows in, you can't stop it. You ever spill liquid and, it's, and you're trying to contain it? He's running off the counter. You can't. That's grace in our lives. When we genuinely experience it, it's not something you dispense. It flows. And so, right here, it's about us. And grace may not be flowing. I'm going to strike that. Grace is not flowing when we don't see ourselves as undeserving recipients of piles and piles and piles of it. The outflow will always match the perceived inflow. You catch that? Perceived is capitalized for a reason. I don't want you to miss it. 
the outflow will always match the perceived inflow. When I think, when I think I needed a little bit of grace for my little bit of church sins, then a little bit of grace will eke out of me. But when I recognize <laughs> in all my self-righteousness, I am ugly before God, but he has thrown a party for me, and I see that clearly, then the piles of grace that flow in will not be contained. They will flow through. It's grace flowing in your life. You see, you can't duty your way into loving lost people. You can only recognize who you are apart from Jesus, really, and experience a grace then that you can't contain. So I want us to, again, this morning, as we have done each week, examine ourselves. This week specifically, to examine ourselves in the light of God's grace. So if you want to put your notes away, we're going to remember God's grace to us in the sending of the Son. Guys, you can come forward and they're going to pass simply a tray with bread, a reminder of the body of Christ broken on our behalf. God's grace to us. A cup of juice reminding of God's grace. Folks, you can go through this. We can go through it like we've done it a thousand times potentially or... I can sneak that out of there. Or maybe for the first time <laughs> with a great expression of acknowledgement of new measure, you'll go, my self-righteousness is as ugly as prostitution. Mm. I'm a recipient of an undeserved party. See, examine yourself. Will you admit to God that you're as deserving of his wrath as the worst person who's ever lived? And will you then ask yourself, who are the people who are lost and loved by you? Is there anybody who would, you say, they're lost, and they'd say, they love me? Or is there nobody on that list? How are you intentionally pursuing them? Because you've been a recipient of grace, grace flowing through. Take some moments. So we prepare to take God's grace to us in the Lord's Supper. Ask yourself those three times.
Well, we right, you sit right there and you hold elements in your hand. Let's sing this out loud together. I'm choosing to trust you. I am choosing to trust you. Choosing to rest in your love. You call me beyond my comfort, but your power is more than enough. I believe. I believe in your goodness. I believe you know what's best. So I choose to do all that you tell me to do. Lord, I give you my every breath. Lord, as we hold these elements, we acknowledge that our self-righteousness is ugly and you've been gracious to us. Thank you for throwing the party of all parties as you have sought us and brought us home. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer. We take reminded we are undeserving but grateful. Would you take together? stand with me.
know, one of the greatest privileges we have as recipients of grace is to be ambassadors of it. To literally be able to go declare God loves you, regardless of what you've done. To be able to say you have no idea what I've done, what I've thought, where I've gone, what I've said, what I wanted, and God has been gracious to me. And he'll be gracious to you as well. Not a duty, a flow of grace flowing in and grace flowing out. As we go out today, as we engage this next week, whatever we do, whatever we uh, do for fun, for work, wherever we live, that grace uncontained, flowing in with flowing out, grace unfolding as we declare. That's our great, great privilege. As you go out this afternoon, there's out in the courtyard uh, some chips and salsa, la nap salsa to be specific. So enjoy one another and let love flow. God bless.